Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today we've got a great malicious compliance story involving nuns and haircuts. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, credit card? Ask for ID. For reasons unimportant to the story, I was reminded today of something that happened decades ago. I worked many years for Toys R Us, RIP, throughout high school and college. One late December evening, a customer wanted to check out with the hot new video game console. Not a small transaction. For payment, he presented a credit card. Our corporate policy was to ask for ID with any card payment. He approached my checkout with what was unquestionably one of our largest sales of the day. I rang him up and requested his payment and as required by policy and the written statement on his card, identification. He immediately became belligerent and informed me that I was contractually obligated to part with valuable wares without any assurance that he was who he said he was or that I would actually receive remuneration for them. Fun fact, I actually looked it up later, that's true. As a condition of accepting card payments, merchants must agree to contractual language promulgated by card issuers, and in most cases that precludes sellers from requiring identification. However, neither this man nor me are parties to that contract. Nor does this man have any reason to believe that his retail checkout clerk in South Carolina has any knowledge of or is paid enough to care about some contract someone in an office in Paramus, New Jersey may or may not have agreed to with Visa or MasterCard. Naturally, upon being informed that I refused his purchase, he threatened to sue me personally and demanded to speak to my manager. I, in fact, was the highest ranking employee in the store that day. The pittance more per hour above minimum wage, several years more experience than any other hourly employee, and anyone with more clout than me off for the holiday. I was the manager on duty and had stepped onto a register myself to expedite operations. I cheerfully told him I would be happy to get the manager for him. I literally spun on my heel and then asked him how I could help him. I made him re-explain to the manager why he was upset with my associate. He ultimately then presented his ID, but the manager agreed that the photo ID was entirely irrelevant, as the customer had said. If the card was signed, I must accept it based upon his signature. Unfortunately, however, the signature on the card and the signature on the receipt did not match. The card was prominently signed, Douchey McEntitled Face. Ask for ID. The payment slip was signed, Douchey McEntitled Face. Close, but clearly not a match. My employer was therefore contractually required to refuse the transaction and to report the fraudulent attempt, resulting in a card freeze. Can I trust you to find the exit, or will you require the assistance of the local constabulary? He was served a formal trespass notice, and in an abundance of caution, I also called every store within three counties to ensure no one was duped by that clever near match. 
My question is, if he had the ID the whole time, why did he make a big deal about it? Sure, it's annoying if you're going to make a purchase that you have to pull out the ID to use your credit card or whatnot, but also at the same time, who cares? It takes literally 5 seconds. You afraid they're going to scan it, take a picture of it or something? Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you guys enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below? That said, our next story is, you're not allowed to leave, you have to testify as a witness. This just happened about an hour ago, but here's the backstory. It's a long one. About two and a half years ago, my apartment was broken into during a camping trip. Some things were stolen, including multiple firearms. A year and a half ago, one of my firearms was found with some kids selling crack in a small city right over the border of the next state. The plea deal falls through, and the girl the cops had initially mentioned was going to trial. I received a letter in the mail telling me of the court date and location, but it is explicitly not a summons. Whatever. I want my gun back sooner than later, so I go. Both the prosecutor and the assistant prosecutor are out sick, one with COVID. They make us hang around for a while for no reason and eventually I just leave. They didn't like that, but whatever. Being there was legally voluntary. I tell them they can mail me the new date and I'll deal with it then. Three weeks go by and here we are this morning. I get home from work and I check my mail. There are two letters, one for the first girl and another's for a guy I know just One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Just as an accomplice from the updates about the girl, his trial is today and hers is tomorrow. I go to the courthouse 40 minutes away and let them know I'm here. Everything is fine. They bring in the jury pool and spend two hours getting down to seven jurors. The trial starts and we're just patiently waiting. Four cops and one other civilian victim slash witness. They tell us, no worries, this will be super quick. They basically just need to ask if it's the firearm I reported stolen and I'll be on my way. They call in all the cops who are getting paid this whole time first. It's now 1pm. I've been up for 24 hours, on 3 hours of sleep the day before, after working a 12 plus hour overnight shift. My entire body is cramping, I'm super uncomfortable, I'm exhausted. I last ate at 10pm. The assistant district attorney comes out and tells us they're taking an hour lunch break. I tell her I can't stay and I need to leave. She tells me I'm not allowed to. I already presented as a witness to the judge. I'd have been summoned. I hadn't. They can charge me with this or that. One of the cops tells me they could detain me. The judge could order me after I point out that I haven't been summoned and again, this is voluntary. Basically, they try and strong arm me when all I want to do is go home. The assistant DA starts explaining how, oh no, he totally was. I don't know who you heard that from. My local PD mentioned the girl by name originally, giving me all these details about the case. Then re-emphasizing, I really must stay or I'll be charged with a crime. 
Don't worry though, we'll get you in right away so you can leave soon. Soon being in more than an hour, minimum. Here's the thing. The judge issued a sequester order first thing in the morning before jury selection. I say fine and wait. Here comes the single greatest act of malicious compliance I've ever committed in my life. All the attorneys come in. All the jury comes in. The judge makes me swear to tell the truth. I do. As soon as I finish, I blurt out the prosecutor broke the sequester and was telling me about the case during the break. Stop. Everyone except the lawyers out, including me. Eventually, they bring just me back in. The judge again makes me swear to tell the truth, confirms I understand what's happening, tells me the importance of a fair trial, maybe don't witness tamper then, and explains that witnesses are never to volunteer information and are to only answer the questions. You've been summoned and it's a legal obligation. I let him finish and mention that I have never been summoned. He says, then I'm ordering you. Understood? Yes. Everyone comes back in. We all take our oaths again. The prosecutor that was threatening me starts asking questions. Here's the thing. I swore to tell the truth. I never agreed to tell it in a way that makes her life easier. She asks me some basic questions, name, age, what do I do for work, etc. Then she gets into actual questions. Do I own weapons? Did I report any stolen around this date? Did I own one of this model? Did I report the model stolen, etc.? Is this your gun? I said, it certainly looks like it. Did the so-and-so police contact you when it was recovered? I say, no. They ask, who did? I say, other police department, my local PD. Did they give you any details regarding how it was recovered? I say, they said it was allegedly used in a crime by girl's name. Defense objects, and the judge strikes that from the testimony. By now, the DA is realizing that she's giving me too much leeway and starts asking for yes or no answers. Eventually asks if I'd recognize the serial number if I saw it. I tell her no, and that roughly sums up my questions from her. Then it's the defendant's turn, and it goes exactly as you would expect by now. I answer truthfully but in favorable wording. You said it looks like your gun, but you can't confirm. I said I'd need to compare the serial number against the police report or the gun shop which still has it on record. They say, do you know who stole your firearm? I say no. They say, do you recognize so and so? I say no. She asked a few more plausible deniability questions and then I was free to go. I can't wait to be back tomorrow for the girl's trial. I'll probably be much less malicious but I know the DA will be nervous when she sees me. Court is officially over, so the sequester order is no longer in effect. Good times. And don't worry, if I botched your case in this regard, that kid had more than enough charges. He should have taken the plea deal. I really don't understand what they thought they were going to gain by putting OP on the stand considering the limited information that they knew they could even get from OP. What more could OP have possibly have given them that would be beneficial beyond that point? Especially when it got to the point that they were made aware OP could be a damaging witness. It's bold of them to assume that either side has an expectation that OP is going to play ball to either protect them or go against the client. Our next story is Bulgarian. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. 
This is the pineapple mango flavor my fave. You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Compliance. This story is for a malicious compliance on a country level. Some context. On the 30th of December, Austria finally lifted the veto against Bulgaria and Romania to join the Schengen space. To be in the Schengen space means there is borderless travel between the Schengen members. But there was a catch. Both countries got a date for the removal of the air and maritime borders, but didn't get a date for the land borders. This was again halted by Austria, which made additional demands to allow the removal of land borders. Vienna wants less refugees and demands tight control on the borders to stop the migration traffic in their direction. Cue in malicious compliance. Bulgaria is currently checking for illegal immigrants in every vehicle with Austria as a destination, both on entrance and exit. The waiting queues are enormous and this is causing huge delays and costs for a lot of Austrian businesses. They did catch six immigrants though. Oh thank god I was so worried that six immigrants might sneak into the country. Surely though, rest assured Austrian people, they must have been the worst of the worst. They were going to cause mass havoc and destruction for sure. Rest easy at night. This next story is one-page contract? Okay. I'm a contracts attorney. I once had a good long-term client of mine ask for a simple one-page contract for something. Well, the boilerplate language is usually at least one page, so it really isn't feasible to do a one-page contract without leaving out something potentially very important. You never know what someone on a bench and a robe with a gavel might think is important, which is why you include everything. So I wrote the contract the way it should be, keeping it as tight as possible. It was two pages plus a signature page. Then I moved the margins to a quarter of an inch from one inch. Next, select all and start decreasing the font size until it all fit on one page. We're talking New Times Roman size 2 font. Tiny. I really got a kick out of sending that one for review. I mean, my god, I just hope the person you sent this to for review has young eyes. You send off a paper with size 2 font to the right person, all of a sudden you have a 50-50 chance that they can't even read any of it. Or they're going to do the thing you always saw your parents do where they shove the piece of paper right up to their eyeball trying to read one word at a time. It's already bad enough when you don't understand half the words of legal jargon. This next story is, can't take a week off? How about a decade? A decade ago, my primary school had a lollipop man to help the kids cross the road. For anyone not in the know, they wear high vis and hold a stop sign. He was nearly 80 and had come out of retirement many years earlier to help out since nobody else wanted to do the job. He and his pensioner friends would go out for an annual holiday together and it was the same time each year so he could give the council plenty of notice. The council outright told him no because it's in the middle of term time, refused to compromise and let anyone else cover for a week and said if he goes ahead then he shouldn't even think about returning to work when he gets back. Well, they overestimated how much he wanted that job. He went on his holiday, didn't come back to work, and that stick up the council's butt meant that instead of being without a lollipop man for a week, they've been without ever since. 
So are you telling me that for all of these kids that are walking around going to school, you just don't have a traffic guard? You don't have anybody looking out for the traffic? I mean, if anything, that sounds like a very American thing to accomplish. Dang right we made life hard for our traffic guards and didn't want to pay them enough so we don't have any that want to work for us. Good luck, kids. Also, not going to lie, I understand why they're called lollipop men because it looks like they're holding a giant lollipop. But originally reading this, I thought it was like a traffic guard that actually like handed out lollipops to kids for a second. Our next story is, none requires a haircut every week or get expelled? Sure thing. This is my husband's story from high school. Let's call him Phil. Phil attended a private Catholic school from kindergarten through graduation. He was, and still is, a long-haired hippie. All was well until his senior year, when a new nun became principal. She was offended by this boy's long hair. She was also warned by some of the other teachers, nuns, not to get into it with him because no doubt he will win. Phil and his father meet with the principal and offer a solution of wearing a wig so he doesn't have to cut his hair. The nun says no way. What if other kids decide to do that? Nun insists that he gets his hair cut or he will be expelled. Father says, okay, he'll get his hair cut every week and we will provide receipts. Will that suffice? Nun agrees. Cue malicious compliance. Phil's dad takes him to the beauty shop, says cut as little as humanly possible off his hair. Hairdresser is all, why not just have me provide a receipt and not cut? Well, that wouldn't fly because they're going to be totally honest about the whole thing. A cut every week with a receipt. The hairdresser proceeds to do a haircut every week, just a trim, mind you, and provides a receipt. The nun has no recourse. Phil graduates with longer and healthier hair than he started the year with. Hey, that's a great thing for his hair. It's actually really good maintenance if you're going to have long hair. I was going to say this must be still like some level of expensive malicious compliance, but then I remembered, oh yeah, this is taking place with a kid that's in a private Catholic school from kindergarten through graduation. They probably have the dough to afford it. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely awesome malicious compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.